podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to another Wisden Cricket World Cup daily podcast on the first double game day of the tournament. Bangladesh beat Afghanistan by six wickets this morning before South Africa tore up the record books against Sri Lanka. I'm Cassia Whitney and I'm here with Jim Wallace to discuss the South Africa match. A little bit later on, Ben Gardner will be speaking to Tawad Qureshi about the Bangladesh-Afghanistan game. Um, But first, Jim, I'm going to come at you with some stats from that incredible match in Delhi, which South Africa won by 102 runs. South Africa posted the highest ever score in a World Cup, so that's 428 for five. Quinton de Kock, Rassie van der Dussen and Aidan Markram all scored centuries. That's the first time three batters have scored hundreds in the same World Cup innings. And Aidan Markram hit the fastest ever World Cup century off 49 balls, beating Kevin O'Brien's record from when Ireland beat England in Bengaluru in 2011. And don't we all remember that so well? Um, Jim... Yeah. Jim, what was your uh, moment of the match from all those those incredible records? Yeah, mine is going to be I mean, yeah, it wasn't it was an incredible game. It was those I mean, I think I'd text you just before saying how long has this game been going on for? I guess there were so many boundaries they had to keep fetching the ball and it was felt like it was just going on for hours longer than than a normal match, but um uh, I mean, Markham's innings was pretty amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and some of the shots were I mean, they were really classy. He played that sort of check Check drive a bit like Harry Brook, where he holds where he holds the pose. He played some some audacious ramps. He played some lovely straight drives down the ground, uh, and I was really pleased for him um, because you know he's he's had a uh, be a bit of a dry patch, and then he's hit this sort of rich vein of form right at the right time. So uh, my moment of the match is more a sound. The sound of his bat was absolutely insane. It was like a cannon or something. It sounded really satisfying like a cannon in a I don't know a bubble wrap factory or something like that. But there was a real crunch every time he even when he was just crunching a single um out to the boundary it was um it was like there was a real sort of deep satisfying whip crack sound of his bat so yeah i guess all, all the other players would be wanting a, want, wanting to know what he was using but uh, yeah it was an amazing innings and sort of put de Kock and van der Dussen in the shade a little bit um but they played great as well yeah you mentioned that he's hit a, a real rich vein of form this year this is his third odi century since march and in the previous five years of his odi career he hadn't scored a single century um he could be such a key player for South Africa in this tournament it's such an exciting batting lineup when you look it up and down and it feel like it really clicked into gear today I feel like South Africa were kind of like the side most of all who came into this tournament thinking it's either going to be boom or bust but it showed today that when they really put it together they're going to be absolutely box office absolutely yeah I mean they've got they've got Incredible bowlers in, in the likes of uh, Rabada and Ngidi and, and Jansen look really good today. Um, and uh, their, their top six is just, on, I mean, on paper, if it's firing and it, and it is firing, it has been recently against Australia too. Um, you know, Klaassen coming in at, uh, I always say it makes me sound posh when I say Klaassen. Klaassen, I'm going to call him Heinrich Klaassen. Comes in at what does he come in at six? Well, he came in at um five today, but five and then Miller and then um and I mean yeah it's it's a bit Baruma. I saw a tweet. I think it was Cameron Ponsonby, who's a erstwhile member of this parish. He uh and he did it the other day as well. But you know he sort of screen grabbed the scorecard and said uh, what's up Timber? You know because everyone else around he get Timber got eight runs off five balls. 
and then everyone else is getting a ton basically. Um, and he did it the other day with uh, what's his chops, Will Young, who missed out again. So, I mean, yeah, it's been very batting heavy, hasn't it? The, um, the start of the tournament, I guess. But your moment was a was a bowling moment at least, Katya. Yeah, my moment was a bowling moment from South Africa. But before we get on to to that, I just want to have a quick word for the Sri Lanka bowlers because they had a pretty torrid time today. Um, they're without Wanindu Hazaranga, who won't be with them for the whole tournament. And they're also, they were also without Mahesh Tikshanka, Tikshana today. Two of their best spinners against the side who have scored their runs quicker than any other in ODIs this year. Um, and they didn't, they didn't bowl particularly well. It's got to be said. Um, but I felt particularly bad for Matisha Pasirana, um, who had a bit of a mare, to be honest. At one point he was taken for 26 runs off one over when Markram teed yeah. off. Um, and incidentally, it's only the second time in World Cup history where three bowlers um, conceded more than 80 runs in the same innings um, with Paterana, Dunith Welalaje and Kusun Rajitha. Um, they had tough days. Um, looked pretty desolate sometimes on the field for Sri Lanka. Yeah, it was carnage really, wasn't it? Uh, I mean, I guess when someone like Markham is in that kind of mood as well, it, it really doesn't matter what's coming down. But yeah, it looked a little bit one-dimensional and, and particularly it looked quite flat towards the end. I'm just looking down here at the economy rates and there's some eye-watering numbers. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a small pitch, right, at Delhi's. And, and, and Markham, I just saw just after the match, just saying it was a rapid, it was a rapid outfield and just a really good wicket. So, what was it, 700 and something runs? You reeled it off at the start. I mean, it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was tough going for the bowlers I think today even Jansen who, who looked good and, and Ngidi and and and, and Rabada you know they still um I guess we'll come on to Sri Lanka but I mean they they had a good crack at it really and they tail off a little bit with the wickets but they were still smart in fours and sixes Jansen also had he conceded quite a few runs today I think it was 92 it was definitely over 90 um but my moment of the match was actually his ball to get um Kusul Pereira out it was a, a brilliant ball he got both Sri Lanka openers today bowled them both middle peg um cutting back in in between bat and pad bails everywhere absolutely beautiful um he's such an important player to this South Africa side because he came in and he whacked some ridiculous sixes as well some of the biggest of the match and then he comes in and bowls like that and They've got quite a dearth of all-rounders. You mentioned all that power in the batting lineup and, and the power in the bowling lineup as well. But apart from Janssen, they've got Fekla Cuello, who wasn't even meant to be in the squad until um, until they had a couple of injuries with Norkia uh, and with Sisanda Magala. Um, how important is Janssen for them, do you think? I think he really is. I, th- I think he'll have... We saw a... Um... A glimpse of it today. I think he'll have one of those matches where he blows away a top order. He's got that, you know, that pitch up, that swing, that the angle. He's all limbs, lissom limbs, and and when he's in full flight, yeah, he's really exciting to watch. I remember watching him in the Test series a few years ago when they came to England, and thinking he sort of reminds me of Alan Mulally, which is not the greatest of compliments, but he's like a sort of Alan Mulally on acid. He's like Alan Mulally because it, you know there's something about watching a sort of scrawny left arm seamer steaming in that is is quite appealing but yeah he's uh and yeah he's batting as well some of those shots um pretty ridiculous so it's those long levers I guess isn't it um but yeah in full flight he's 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 special and I think he will have one of those games maybe a Hopefully it's not against England where he blows away a top order because he's, he's pitch up at the stumps. Yeah, I think Ian Bishop described him today as tall, gangly and ungainly. The other thing I thought was interesting from the match was that South Africa came in with, with one spinner or one full-time spinner. Um, and that comes back to the kind of all-rounder question. They didn't actually use um, 
they only used five bowlers today, which I thought was also interesting, rather than going through um, with Aidan Markman's part-time spin. If they can keep going through those kind of five bowlers without having to play to Bray Shamsi as well and, and perhaps only play three seamers or or break up the batting lineup a bit, that, that could really help them, couldn't it? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it's a long old tournament and if you can if you can keep miles in people's legs, then then that is all the better. I mean, I mean... Again, we've mentioned it again, but there's so it was so brutal for the bowlers out there. So you can if you go through three, four, five games like that, then you know, bowlers are going to be in the red zone, as they call it. So I guess if you can um afford to and, and have the luxury of being able to keep a few back in the in the hutch and keep them for the for the key games, then that that could come into play later in the tournament too. Um and just on Sri Lanka again, they gave it such a good go in the chase, as you said earlier. Uh Crystal Mendes came in and smashed a half century of 25 balls. And at one point Aidan Markram's about half an hour old record looked slightly under threat. And um, and the and his opening partner had none of the 50 partnership as well. That was good. That was like club cricket style. Yeah. He was just absolutely boshing it and the other guy couldn't get a bat. Couldn't get down to the other end, really. Yeah. Um, and then Charith Asalanka also scored 79 off 65. They eventually bowled out for 326. It was the most runs ever scored in a, in a World Cup match. Um, they gave it a mass, such a good go. Um, and it's positive signs for Sri Lanka. When Temba Babuma came off the field, he didn't look exactly thrilled, as you would have thought, having posted over 400 and got your first win on the board. Um, what did you make of their batting performance? I thought, uh, yeah, I was really impressed. And I I thought it was a shame, actually, because I thought if they had maybe two, one or two more wickets in the hutch, at, at one point, they were when they were on 303, uh, the, the sides were both on 303 at the same time. I saw the, the wiggly worm thing and they were matched. But uh, obviously, South Africa were for three wickets, and I think Sri Lanka were for eight. Were, were eight down by then. Um, so if the, if they'd uh, maybe kept a few in the hutch, then yeah, I mean they could have given it a real good go. They were still, you know, clearing the ropes right at the end. Uh, those those three guys who di- didn't go on and get a massive score, but got the got sort of seventies in in pretty quick time. Just lastly on Sri Lanka, Jim, uh, they've got Pakistan next Tuesday. That's their next match. Pakistan obviously had a, a little bit of a scare against the Netherlands yesterday, but went on to win that match comfortably. What do you think their chances are against them? Uh, I think they've got a good uh, good chance that if they turn up like they sort of did for, for patches of today, then they've obviously got uh, a gun batting lineup um, and they can give anyone a scare. As you, as, you, as you said, Netherlands gave Pakistan a scare Again, but then it's you know it's Pakistan in World Cups. If they turn up and 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 Shaheen or whatever blows blows away Sri Lanka's top order, then it, and then it could be curtains. But it could be, uh, over, you know, one of these short matches, or it could be one of those ones like today where it's four hundred plays three hundred and eighty or whatever. So um, uh, Pakistan favourites for me, but uh, Sri Lanka gave it a good go today. They were they were sort of impressive, and and as you say. They got it closer than I think Babuma wanted to. I think he would have wanted his net run rate to have more of an an injection than he did perhaps at the end, which sounds daft because they still won by 102 runs, which obviously you'd take. But yeah, um, they they looked impressive. Well, as I said at the start of the show, that was actually the second game today. Bangladesh and Afghanistan played earlier. And to talk about that, we're going to go over to Ben Gardner and Tawad Qureshi. Welcome to part two of today's Wisdom World Cup daily podcast. Bangladesh have got their campaign off to a weirdly fuss-free start. After the build-up was dominated by Tammy McBall and Shaqib's back injuries and backstabbing, they, they hardly put a foot wrong against Afghanistan, bowled them out for 156 and then easing to a six-wicket win. I'm joined by Bangladesh cricket expert Torhid Qureshi. Uh, Torhid, did you see that coming? I guess in some respects maybe, in other respects not. I mean, I actually thought it'd be a lot closer uh, in terms of the the way the game panned out. I was expecting more from Afghanistan. 
uh, yeah, I thought they really did sort of capitulate uh, in that in that batting innings of theirs, particularly when you look at uh, where they were placed, 47 for none at one stage and also 112 for two. So, yeah, from those sorts of positions to end up 156 all out really was quite disappointing from them. Uh, from a Bangladesh point of view, yeah, it all kind of seemed to go right, all the calls uh, that were made by Shakib, I thought he kind of marshaled his his troops, marshaled the bowlers pretty well, uh, other than a bit of a wayward start up front from from Tuscan and Shoreful. Um, yeah, it, it all kind of seemed to go to plan. You know, once he brought himself on and on the seventh over, uh, that's really kind of when the squeeze started. Got got a couple of wickets, courtesy of a couple of top edges and. Yeah, he kind of does what we all know that he can do, essentially, you know, pick up uh, wickets through that really sort of metronomical sort of style of bowling. You know, he's not a huge spinner of the ball. It's all about subtle changes of angle, release points, all those sorts of things. And actually, yeah, I thought the wicket that got uh, Najibul Azad run out was kind of typical Shakib, barely sort of perceptible uh, uh, spin on the ball once it once it kind of pitched, but yeah, enough to bowl uh, bowl out the batter. So uh, yeah, I think it all kind of went right for Bangladesh, really. And yeah, once those wickets started tumbling, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of plain sailing from there. And yeah, as I say, with the bat, there was never really enough runs on the board for for Afghanistan to kind of exert any real sort of pressure. Um, that said, you know, there, there were certainly chances. I mean, Miraz, uh, Mehdi Hassan Miraz ended up with 57, but he was given a couple of lives. Uh, yeah, he was dropped on 17 and 23, I thought, had uh, they picked him up at that stage, they would have been in the game. But as it was, yeah, it was that third wicket partnership of 97 runs, really, with uh, Shantu that really sort of took the game away. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned Mehdi at the end there. I mean, he was the star of the show, really. Uh, took three wickets and then hit a half century at number three. Uh, using him in that top order is something Bangladesh had kind of only just landed upon. He made a really good hundred opening, also against Afghanistan, actually, in the Asia Cup. I guess, I mean, from one point of view, what what's the thinking behind promotion to begin with? But also, kind of like, what's taken him so long to try? He looks really good up there. He does, yeah. And I feel, you know, he's one of these players. So, you know, we know he can bat, or he has batted anywhere from, like, and made runs anywhere from number one to number eight. So, you know, going back to that series against India uh, at the end, towards the end of last year, he, he made runs uh, very low down the order. I guess, yes, they have they have actually promoted him up the order, particularly in sort of T20 cricket domestically. He's played a lot of cricket, uh, a lot of his innings at the top of the order. I think it's something they've come upon almost by default. Uh, obviously, the fact that they're kind of one opening batter uh short at the top with with uh Tamim not not in the squad uh also sort of has a bearing on that um but I think yeah for me Miraz he's such a versatile flexible player I think though um the way that he's being used at the moment is it's almost like he's that sort of floater uh, he's used, being used as a bit of a stopgap to kind of plug a hole where it's needed. Whereas I think he's such a good player that actually whatever his 
place is and essentially I think it should probably be either number four or number five uh that you know he his place should be cemented really and uh it, you know the team the team uh the top order should be kind of based around him at the at the moment slightly the other way around yeah yeah I can see that and I guess just encouraging for Bangladesh Shakib's not young and now they've got another kind of gone all rounder who looks kind of set to establish himself but Shakib was was really good as well I mean took three wickets and three really important wickets, as you said, Afghanistan were 112 for two, but it was him that got those first two. So it would have been even worse if it weren't for him. And, and he kept him really well as well. As Again, as you said, just made the changes at the right time. Uh, and I guess the, the, the quicks were actually good as well after that kind of start. Uh, they used the short ball a lot. Uh, Task and Ahmed bowled quickly and Shoreful, that, that probably bowled the ball of the day to Asmatul Omarzai. Uh, and I, I just thought it was great to see Alan Donald, uh, who's the Bangladesh fast bowling coach, sort of like smiling contently after each wicket, being like, this is uh, this is what I want. Uh, but I guess that's quite a new thing for Bangladesh, isn't it? To have sort of like a stable of quicks, not just sort of like maybe one or two, but like a proper pace bowling attack. And and that that's encouraging as well, I suppose, looking forward in the tournament. Well, it's their biggest strength and it's their most exciting, potent uh, kind of threat going into this tournament. So yeah, I spoke to Alan Donald about a couple of weeks ago, just just before the start of the uh, the competition, and he was saying, you know, one of the biggest changes that he's tried to instill, and I guess it's quite an obvious one, but you know, trying to get the the bowlers to kind of shelve that sort of fear of fear of failure. I think he was saying previously, you know, they were obsessed about not getting hit for four a four or a six. So uh, you know that was really kind of limiting their, their their capabilities and their threat, if you like. But um, yeah, as you say, yeah, the fact that they've got um, well, they've got five quick bowlers uh, in this squad, and they all pose a slightly different threat, like you say. So yeah, Shorafor with a left arm angle, really pleased actually to see uh, the fears must have his. Uh, Rahman sort of uh, getting to the game early, so he was brought in on the si- in in the six over. I think he bowled his uh, seven overs straight through, um, and yeah, sort of picked up a wicket and really kind of stemmed uh, the flow of runs at that stage as well. So yeah, they 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 really have got a, a, an impressive sort of stable of of fast bowlers to draw on, and uh, yeah, that's certainly a new thing. Mm, yeah, I guess all, all that said, and as encouraging as it was for Bangladesh. Afghanistan were not great. They had that platform. Uh, and then there were loose shots. It wasn't just good Bangladesh bowling, although I guess that was partly the pressure being built. Uh, there were drop chances. There were misfields. I guess I thought the moment that summed up uh, their game was the start of Majib's innings when he actually forgot his box on the way out to the middle and he was just ready to face up and he had to get a subfielder to to run it on. And it was, I mean, you get a lot of things they say that that's village uh, and, you know, Anyone, any player can do a misfield, but this was properly village, like a, a guy for getting a, a pretty important piece of equipment. Uh, but yeah, basically, some they just they just weren't ready. And I guess it's odd as well because they, although they got knocked out in the first round of the Asia Cup, they kind of ended up on a high, didn't they? Almost beating Bangladesh to qualify for the Super Fours, although they got the net the net run rate a bit wrong. But I guess hopefully they'll improve. But uh, they, they 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 just seem to have a bit of a block at, at World Cups at the moment. Um, we should touch on the build-up to this tournament for Bangladesh. Uh, Toy, give us as, as, as brief a recap as you can, and then your take on um, maybe the rights and wrongs and, and what it means for the team uh, and for the campaign. Sure. I mean, how long have you got? No, I'll, <laughs> I'll, 
I'll try and keep it as brief as possible. So I guess, you know, going back to sort of the summer period, uh, so Tommy McBall um, kind of resigned the captaincy and that was in a bit of a, a fit of anger. Basically, the BCP president kind of called him out for, for not kind of being 100% fit or or basically uh, Tummim's uh, intention was to prove his fitness against uh, a bilateral series against Afghanistan at home. Uh, the BCP president kind of called him out on that, said, you know, it's, it's you know, not the thing to do. Uh, so in a bit of a fit of rage, kind of Tummim resigned the captaincy. There was a big kind of hoo-ha around that. Um, and in the end, he reversed that uh, decision after a meeting with the Honourable Prime Minister and the former Bangladesh captain as well, Mushrafi Mortazi, who's talked out of that decision. Yeah, he didn't just resign the captaincy, right? He actually retired from international cricket and then came back at that point, didn't he? Exactly, yes. So at that point, that was it. I think, yeah, that, that was it. Um, but then, you know, he's he's still been plagued uh, with injury issues, principally his back. I know he was actually in London uh, a few months ago for a sort of treatment on his back. Um, so, yeah, going into the to the Asia Cup and the New Zealand series. Um, so, yeah, he played he played a game against New Zealand, scored 40 odd. Um, but after that game, I think he still felt there were sort of issues with his back. Uh, anyway, cut long story short, so he has a conversation with the BCB who are sort of asking him, you know, what, what's the situation? He sort of says he's not 100%, but he feels that he will be ready for the start of the World Cup, i.e. today's game. Uh, BCB weren't so sure about that, so they uh, make the suggestion for him to back down the order if he is going to play, at which point, again, Tumim basically kind of throws the, the toys out of the pram. He's not happy with that suggestion. He sort of says, well, I've played, you know, best part of 20 years at the top. Uh, you know, I don't know how to kind of back down the order, which, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll come on to the uh, to, to my take on it, I suppose. But yeah, it strikes you as a bit odd, I suppose. So yeah, at that point, he's obviously kind of left out of the World Cup squad. Uh, he then takes to Facebook to do like a 12-minute uh, monologue kind of explaining what happens. There's lots of these theories around, uh, you know, there was a late night meeting between Tamim and the BC president uh, around the whole situation. So he, he tries to sort of clarify what's going on. But in doing so, I think he just kind of muddies the waters further. Basically, there was a suggestion uh, that was put out to the media or, you know, it was a rumour, basically, that Tamim's suggestion was that he could only play five to six games. Um, but Tamim uh, totally denies that. He says that he, he never kind of made that suggestion. And again, he, he just kind of reiterates the fact that he was asked to kind of bat down the order, um, at which point, you know, he, he kind of refused to do so. So, uh, yeah, I guess fast forward, I think it was actually within 48 hours and only a day or two before they were due to leave India. So Shakib then gives a 30-minute interview uh, to a Bangladesh uh, channel called T-Sports, which I guess is the equivalent of Sky Sports uh, back here in the UK, uh, where essentially he just twists the knife in. And uh, without being explicit, I don't think he actually mentions Tumin by 
name specifically, although obviously the questioning is all around him, but he goes on to say generally that, you know, if you're a team man, a team player, you know, you should you should bat, you know, wherever uh, the team needs you to bat, essentially. So, yeah, I guess that's the long and short of it. I guess my take on it, as I was saying, yeah, I thought Tummins, um, you know, his his 12 minute monologue, it was a bit strange. It was it was kind of uh, there was quite a lot of self-pity in there. I felt um, it was it was almost like he, he basically said, you know, he's been or he has been victimized over a, a number of months which has kind of led him to this decision and by victimized I guess you know I think there's been lots of small issues that, that he's not been happy with and you know this was a, a, the straw that broke the camel's back um but as I was saying yeah it felt that there was quite a lot of self-pity there and also I think it was quite um uh kind of in line uh, with a player who's, who's kind of really been kind of, I guess, kind of mollycoddled and, and basically given free reign throughout his whole career. You know, every, uh, you know, every whim of his has kind of been uh, facilitated in some way by, you know, the cricket board and, and, and everyone around him. And it's it's important to know, you know, Tummin, in many respects, or his family, a kind of cricket royalty within Bangladesh. So his his elder brother uh, was a, a Bangladesh uh, international as well, and he's also team manager leading up to the World Cup. Uh, and also his uncle uh, played for Bangladesh at sort of the turn of the century, you know, just as they were coming to prominence. So, you know, he's very much been treated in that way. So again, yeah, the fact that it seems to be the first time that one of his requests, you know, one of his major requests has, has kind of been turned down um, or, or things haven't exactly gone his way. Uh, I think, yeah, that, that's quite telling in, in that uh, context. Um, in terms of Shakib and, and his response, yeah, the, the one thing that struck me around that was just the whiff of hypocrisy, basically, because, you know, we all know Tummim's got a charge sheet longer than, you know, anyone else's. So, you know, he's got a whole history of, um, you know, throwing his toys out of the pram, you know, railing against umpiring decisions and the like. Uh, also, you know, some of his on off field indiscretions, obviously the big one being banned uh, for for not reporting a approach by a bookmaker shortly after uh, the 2019 World Cup. So, you know, he's got a litany of um, you know charges against him. So for him then to sort of talk pretty much for 30 minutes about professionalism, about being a team person really did kind of uh, make me laugh at times. But, you know, we are where we are. And I think the one thing that I would be, uh, that I would say about Shakib, and I think, you know, today's performance encapsulates it per perfectly, is that he's a sort of player that really does raise his game and intensity for the big occasion, particularly, I think, for him, World Cups, really are the be all and end all. I've I've watched him playing a lot of bilaterals, particularly in test matches, where he often looks very disinterested. Also, actually what you'll find is probably over the last couple of years he, he really has kind of picked 
um, chosen which kind of bilateral series that he actually wants to play in again, which is a little bit hypocritical when you're um, um, you know criticizing someone else essentially for doing the same thing. So yeah, he's he's a sort of player who really does raise his game, you know, when the occasion demands it. Mm, yeah, I guess a, a bad back can make anyone a bit a bit grouchy, can't it? But I guess we'll we'll keep an eye on how that one develops both during and I suppose after the World Cup to see if if Tamim does make a comeback or if that is the end for him. Uh, you, you also wanted to mention the conditions at Dharamsala. Uh, I guess we're still trying to get to grips with what will be faced with it at different grounds. And this was another sort of unique uh, set of conditions that, that, that the game was played in. Yeah, I guess it... Um, yeah, obviously there's a big game on Tuesdays and they're between uh, England and Bangladesh at, at the very same venue. Yeah, it was quite apparent kind of watching... Uh, some of the, the fielders in the outfield uh, trying to dive but not being able to you know there's a it's a sand based uh, outfield and not only actually in the outfield it's quite apparent when uh, Tumin, uh sorry Tuskin I've got Tumin on the brain but yeah when, <laughs> Tuskin, when Tuskin was bowling it was, uh, you know in the first innings there uh, lots of sand kind of kicking up around his heels as he was running into bowl so you know you think that you know, guys like Mark Wood, um, yeah, need to really, I guess, keep an eye on that because, you know, it's not not the nicest thing to literally be running on sand when, when you're trying to kind of uh, build up a head of steam. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's obviously something to, to, to keep an eye on. And I know there was something similar, wasn't there, in the first game uh, at Ahmedabad around, you know, big kind of divots, uh, in in the outfield, not the easiest kind of grounds to dive around in, I guess. Will be a different challenge, and I guess also just Shakib will be used to the ground. Good left arm spinner, and England struggled against a good left arm spinner in their first game with Mitch Santner. So, will be uh, another interesting game. Um, uh, th- thanks, thanks, Torhid. I look forward to catching up with you again later in the competition. Now it's back to Katia and Jim to look ahead to tomorrow's India Australia clash. Jim, huge match tomorrow, India versus Australia. A bit of injury news from both camps, but we'll start with India. Shubman Gill has tested positive for Deng fever, which to me sounds really nasty, uh, but both Rohit and Raul Dravid have said he's not definitely ruled out of the game. Um, so maybe it's not a bad dose. I've had a dengue fever jab, I think, when I went travelling 10 years ago or whatever. Uh, and it sounds horrible, yeah. And I think if you get it bad... It's really bad if it goes into full on. I think they just call it dengue, which sounds like yeah, that's that's curtains. But the fever is like a flu thing. So it, I mean, it could aches and pains and that sort of thing. So depending on how bad he's got it, maybe it. I mean, he's so great to watch that you really want him to be playing in that. So hopefully he can get some lemsip or whatever the equivalent for dengue fever is down him and and um, and 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 play. But yeah, Australia also have some interesting injury news too yeah well they've got a couple of bits of injury news so Marcus Stoinis is apparently touch and go um because he's got a hamstring niggle but I know you're pretty keen to talk about Adam Zampa's injury who apparently swum into the wall of a swimming pool at the team hotel um a couple of days ago and cut his face but apparently he's going to be okay to play according to Pat Cummins today uh, Pat Cummins also used the word apparently uh, quite a lot because I think he was pretty skeptical about what's what's been going on but yeah so Zampa was doing some underwater lengths of the of the pool at the hotel, I guess, and 
didn't have his goggles on. He bowls in those goggles. They look like goggles. They look like the sort of goggles you'd wear doing woodwork at school or whatever. I think uh, mentioned that, like, you know, when you're on the lathe and the teacher made you wear those sort of trendy uh, spec things. But he wasn't wearing any in the swimming pool, swimming underwater with his eyes closed and just full on smashed into the to the end of the pool and is sort of made a bit of a mess of his face. But obviously his fingers and hands and everything are fine. I think he's just probably a little bit uh, embarrassed if that is what happened. Apparently, Pat Cummins was saying that was, that was what has happened. Um, but yeah, uh, he again, he's he's crucial, right? Because Australia's spin, they don't have that many spinners. They have him and Maxwell. So they really need him to be uh, firing on all cylinders, but really excited. But it feels like the World Cup will properly come alive tomorrow with, with India and Australia. I know there's been a bit of chat about the stadiums being empty and then filling up and and uh it was a great game today but i think t- yeah tomorrow will be the sort of opening match de facto but the, the, the last two sides to play as well aren't they so everyone else has had a crack so it's all been building to this india australia match um so yeah can't wait exactly um it'll be the first chance we get to see of mitchell stark in this tournament after he's been leading wicket taker in the last two who would you rather have in your bowling attack mitchell stark or jasper bumrah i'm gonna go bumrah i think bumrah Obviously, he's coming back from from injury, but he just has it all. Um, in the in the last magazine, in fact, we uh, spoke to Chris Wokes, and he said Bummer is the best. You know, he's got everything. He's got the the toe breaking Yorker. He's got the short ball. He's got variations. He's got pace. He's got a weird action. You can you know you can see as a batsman that you'd much rather face. Well, you wouldn't much rather face either of them, but you 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 might be able to line Stark up a little bit better. Um, because of his smoother action and, and that sort of stuff. Whereas Bummer, it's like, well, what's coming? Like a bag of snakes coming down at you. So, um, yeah, uh, I mean, really exciting. But, um, yeah, I'd probably just go for Bummer. And lastly, what's your prediction? Who's going to win tomorrow? It's going to be India, isn't it? It's going to set the tournament alight. They're going to they're going to um, get loads of runs, get loads of wickets. Someone will, you know, Kohli or Sharma will light up the place and it'll be pretty pretty amazing. So, yeah, I think India India will... will um, will get us all off our seats tomorrow. Well, that's all from us today. There'll be another daily pod tomorrow after the India-Australia game. Thanks for your time, Jim. And Ben and Abhishek Mukherjee will be back with you tomorrow. Podcast Network.